So we're with Leighton. First ever podcast and if you you can hide your nerves well enough, congratulations. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> I still get nervous meeting people, eh? Yeah. I worked it out, like I, I spoke to over a thirteen year period, about hundred thousand people. Mm. And I I still don't necessarily feel comfortable. But today I feel somewhat comfortable. That's good. It's a it's I mean you experience comes over time, right? So you need a you need to um yeah, pro, like you learn on the job, I think, in some some ways. Yeah, and I, I think um, fear, because that, you know, that was my number one fear, talking to people. So I try to, like, create a framework for it. So the fundamentally, things that are novel are fearful because you don't understand what's going to happen. Yeah. So if you, it's called exposure therapy. If you can <clears throat> implementing do a thousand podcasts, you're probably going to get less nervous over time. Yeah, no, that makes sense. My fear is public speaking. So, oh, yeah? Yeah, so I guess one of the purposes of coming on today is to yeah to, to combat that a little bit as well. Cool. All right, anyone listening, you want to bail them <laughs> up and get them to speak. Well, yeah. what is it about, like, and just FYI, people listening, he's a, a um, marketing expert around social media and, and how to convert that. Well, I guess you could, before I ask you about your um, your fear of public speaking, how would yeah. you encapsulate what you do? Um, We... I guess it's it's lead generation and performance marketing through digital tools. So we don't necessarily produce content, websites, or that kind of thing, but we we target um, audiences um, for your particular product or service to to get more leads or get more awareness or get more whatever your objective is, and optimize through that through data and and platforms. Well, you said that a few times. Yeah, <laughs> actually, yeah, not yeah. not so much, but. It really does depend on like what the person's trying to optimize for. So some people are, you know, some people are purely trying to sell more things. Some people are trying to introduce more relationships. Some people are just getting awareness or building um, customer presence, uh, like building a presence for their customers. Sorry. So it really does depend on, um, yeah. And we've got all sorts on the books. So. Yeah. Well, I'm going to, we're going to go on depth at <laughs> yeah. some point. I think people are interested yeah. in who you are, mate. Yeah. Where were you born? New Zealand. New Zealand? No, Auckland. but like Auckland. Yeah. Yeah. Jaffa. Yeah. Yeah. Through and through. Nice. Yeah. Although my mum's from Christchurch, so I can claim a little bit of a uh, little bit of mainland territory for that as well. Fair. Well, I'm, I'm Palmy boy, so I escaped. So you're probably, you know, one step above. <laughs> so, okay. So you're born in Auckland. Was you, were you a confident young man? When no. did the public fear begin? Absolutely not confident. Um, I remember in primary school. We had to dress up in in cardboard boxes, like as like a, it was like a like yeah. a green like you know dress up in junk kind of you know, um, and yeah, and I remember I was too scared to move, so I sat down and everyone moved around me. So that was probably one of my first times where I was just too scared to even move because people were watching. Interesting, you know, I met this guy, um, at a hostel, and he was scared of performing something if it wasn't perfect and he's like mm. an actor and he talked about an experience where his name was called out in assembly mm. but he wasn't sure if yeah. it was about him <laughs> so he got up and then sat back down and everyone looked at him and he made it to mean this massive thing about him so that's why he always gets his ducks in a row before he does it mm. it's quite interesting similar story yeah preparation is is important but like my like my parents took time off work to come and see me and stuff and looking back it's it's pretty embarrassing but um I've sort of taken steps to get over that as well. So I was like, what's, what's one thing that I could do that's really going to like push me, push me out there. So I did, um, promotional work through uni. So like working at, um, 
like I guess like Red Bull type stuff. So oh yeah, yeah. So handing out we're handing out like beers at concerts and um, chips at at different you know locations and doing supermarket uh, testing and stuff. So to talk to as many people in public as possible, and then um, after well, I guess end of uni I got into bodybuilding and started oh yeah yeah getting on stage and stuff. So that was like I just only did that for a couple of years, but it was like. It was like to push myself into, I was like, if I can, if I can stand on stage, um, you know, without any gear on, yeah, it's, um, you know, how do you pick the undies? Like, uh, yeah. <laughs> you go, yeah. is there a better color for bodybuilding? I don't know, mate. I don't know. It didn't work for me, but, um, you get the six pack? It did got, it got a six pack. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I was training like at some points, like twice a day, you know, six days a week kind of thing. So natural. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. How, so how do you. So you're quite, would you say you're knowledgeable around the fitness space? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of studies that kind of prove and disprove different, different things. Like I know, um, there at one point it was like red meat causes cancer, but is it because most people that eat red meat have wine or, or do they cook it on a barbie or whatever? So I think it's, yeah, but I, I think the basics are just monitoring like inputs and outputs, right? So exercising and then eating whole foods is quite good. So less refined sugar, less processed. Um, I obviously I still eat, well, I eat processed and stuff now, but in the, back in the day, it was just very plain, like, you know, meat, veggies, um, and carbs, you know, potatoes, cumulus, that sort of thing. Hmm. Yeah. Bodybuilder. Eh? Yeah. <laughs> Random. Yeah. Cause I was like at school, I was like 50 something kilos, maybe yeah. 60 kilos. And then I got up to, yeah, like 90 something. So. Wow. Yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't fill out in the bodybuilder space, no. but, fat. <laughs> but yeah, I was five foot six under 50 kilos. I was in the under 50 kilo rugby team. Yeah. There was a thing. Yeah. Nice. I said, if you keep putting me in there, I'm going to quit. Yeah. So nice. I gave up rugby because everyone was double my weight. Yeah. I couldn't catch a ball. So I failed in the rugby team. <laughs> what? Did you play any sport? Um, I played tennis, but I was like, I was pretty uncoordinated. So um, at school, I actually did like a bit of choir and stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. I feel like, like it was high pitched. No, yeah, 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 yeah. That was at the start of high school. Can you sing um, still? No, oh, no, don't, no, not I'll put you through that. No, not happening. Surely. What's um, your favorite song to sing in the shower? <laughs> I don't have one, mate. I don't have one. I listen to the radio in the shower sometimes. Do you? Yeah. Think you're electrocuted? No, I'm just no. with you a little bit. Um, okay, so bodybuilder, you know, you you have. You having whole foods, yeah, whole foods, exercising, yeah. So when did you? What did you study at uni? I studied marketing and I and information management. So I originally went to school and I was thinking I I was enjoyed diving and everyone like scuba diving, and everyone says you know do what you love you know you you won't work a day in your life that that kind mm. of thing. So um, I was like oh cool well, I'll be like marine biologist. And then, um, and then I can go scuba diving every day. And so I was like, perfect. I was into science and stuff. Then I met this, we did this like, uh, job open date and this like professor comes in, you know, like balding, like gray beard, mm-hmm. like, you know, like, I was like, oh, okay. And he's like, what we do is we take a meter of sand and we, we look at it for organisms. And I was like, oh, <laughs> probably don't have the patience for that. So, um, so then I was like, well, what's the next obvious choice? And I was like, well, the world's going more towards, you know, an IT space, uh, more towards like data management and internet based and that kind of thing. Um, and marketing or sales seems quite important as well. So I did a 
yeah, sales and I did it like a marketing and um, information management degree. Did you learn anything about marketing there? Um, yeah, you learn a lot. Well, what I took from there is um, psychology, like human oh, psychology, yeah. like how people think, um, you know, the four P's in marketing, um, you know, price promotion, product placement. Um, and that still applies to today, even in digital, even, you know, above the line and, and billboards and stuff, mm. um, having the right promotion and placement and, um, yeah, an offer is, is important. Okay. Well, there, there's a theory that every po- person that's listening to my podcast get, probably gets tired of me saying, <laughs> but I, I, I reckon to find your purpose, you help a version of yourself in the world. Yep. So like whether it was something you struggle with emotionally or you witnessed in others, there's a compelling desire to help that. And when you do, you feel engaged, enlightened, like in the moment. Mm. Do you have that? Like, is there something that you really enjoy helping people with? Um, I guess I enjoy, I probably, in terms of sport and stuff, I was an underdog, right? Like I, I was pretty bad with, um, yeah, I couldn't really catch a ball. Like I was pretty, I was pretty bad at, uh, coordination. And so I think, um, and so I guess philosophically helping people that are a bit of an underdog, um, you know, that have a big ambition, but maybe not the right in terms of marketing Mm. uh, or business, like maybe, you know, aren't quite where they want to be. It's like, how can, how can we, you know, work together to get to where you want to achieve, like to get to what you want to achieve. Because I think if you give to people, then in the long run, it comes back whether that be through, you know, they generate uh, more sales or, or, um, or whether they can provide referrals or even just provide, you know, good feedback on, on how, you know, you can improve. So I think it's, yeah, if you can help people succeed and help them achieve, um, things, I think that's useful. Yeah. I mean, good things happen. Like if you give without expectation, my, um, business associate with the finance company, he's, um, he says, focus activity equals results. Yeah. So, so it's good to give as a, just in general, you feel amazing from a business standpoint. I think you should be a bit more conscious of how you're giving. So you're still giving without expectation. It's just, if you go give to people that have nothing to do with your business over and over and never have time to do anything, with business, <laughs> yeah. it make a lot of sense. Yeah. But I do agree with that. Yeah. And that's one thing, like, um, that's one thing I've kind of learned along the way, right? I was always sort of a people pleaser Mm. in the past. Um, and so I think like, you know, losing that a little bit, saying no a little bit more, um, and having focus, especially, um, yeah, especially when you're starting out is so important. Um, and so that's, that's a couple of things I've learned along the way as well. I heard, um, from Mike Tyson, I like this quote, is that, um, a person that's friends with everyone is an enemy to themselves. Mm. Interesting. It's, I, it's a good point. Yeah. It's a great point. Yeah. I have people please too. Less yeah. so now. I'm a bit more, uh, less agreeable. Yeah. And I think it's, um, yeah, I think like you're right. By giving everyone else your time, you're taking time away from yourself and therefore you're not learning or you're not um, developing your skills where you could help other people. So I think it's, yeah, it's definitely a balance. Well, I mean, like what I mean by that statement is that like, if you're always being nice to other people and not communicating boundaries, because sometimes kindness isn't nice. Mm. It's like someone's disrespecting you consistently turning up late and not doing what they said they would. You're contributing to an unhealthy 
habit for the rest of your life. Like, 100%. Say, it's okay. Yeah, 100%. So if you're always allowing people to take advantage of you and you're always helping them without like expectation, then you're going to have an internal dialogue that's not too healthy. Exactly. Yeah, I agree. I agree. All right, well, we'll move on to something else. So, okay, you, you get your degree and then you get a job immediately because degrees are all you need to get jobs. Yes, yes. Yeah, well, like I sort of, I didn't follow down the path of um, of doing an OE, OE or something. Like I was like, well, you're best to get, you know, money and then you can kind of work out your traveling or whatever after that. But um, from there, I went into uh, Fairfax Media. So when it, oh, yeah. yeah, so into that back when that was a thing, so. They they owned stuff at the time. They bought it off Trade Me. Wow. Um, I don't know Trade Me owned them. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I think it was Trade Me. Yeah, Jesus. No stuff owned Trade Me. Ah, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't leave that out. Yeah. <laughs> nah, own it, own it, mate. We can sorry. leave whatever you want, yeah, but sorry. I reckon own it. Yeah. Anyway, so I worked for Fairfax, and um, and I started off in magazines. So worked working mm. as an account manager for advertising. I then went onto the Sundays, so Sunday Star Times, Sunday News. Wait, how do you how do you sell? Because I maybe not then, but I think it's a big waste of money. And personally, but magazines, yeah, putting advertising. What would you say, or is there value? No, there is value. I think especially in in glossy magazines. So huh. they sit like the benefit of of print media or magazines, especially, is it sits on a table. So multi. You know, multiple people can can read it, and also it's specialized, right? So, one of the magazines that I worked with was uh, New Zealand Fishing. I think it was New Zealand Fishing, and um, and so if you were selling lures or rods or something, then the people reading it are into fishing, and so you've got a really direct audience. Um, what and- happened? Did you see the follow-up? Because I mean, you're saying something which yeah. could very well be true. Yeah. Did you have like, I signed this client up and they're like, oh my God, I had 10 people come in because of the clipping from the magazine. Do you have a, tra- a way to track that? Not well, no, but I think, I think, I mean, we, I never sold it. I was just account management. So, oh, yeah. so it was just like, if anyone, I was just an order taker, essentially. Mm. I didn't, um, didn't actually sell it. So, you know, making sure that it went in the magazines properly, it went on the right pages and stuff. Um, it was a pretty junior role, but it's, um, I think like people wouldn't keep advertising if they didn't think it worked. And also it's probably a little bit of an ego thing as well, right? Like yeah. having, it's a bit like billboards, right? Like if you're driving past a billboard, sometimes it's, you know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But, um, they say, you know, I think it was Saatchi's or something. There's an old, um, saying where like, if you want to improve the boss, you know, put the advertising on the billboard outside his office, their office, um, improve the boss i don't understand what do you mean if you so you put a billboard outside a place or impress the boss impress the boss. yeah sorry did i say improve yeah sorry impress yeah, okay yeah. so yeah what i mean yeah there is an ego component like i was looking at the history of advertising recently i don't know why and because i'm i was trying to convey how the the trends of underpriced attention and I found that it, it was on the other side of two things, which is um, novelty and instant gratification. Yeah. So, like, when billboards first came out, um, they weren't too good, but then they suddenly became very good because of the way um, highways were structured. So the, there was a lot more volume of people going past the billboard and right. very little competition. 
when radios came out there, you know, I think you were getting like in the UK, you're getting like one pound to seven pounds, whatever it was called back then. So mm. you spend a dollar, you get $7 back mm. because there's very little competition, but there's a large audience. Mm. And that's why, you know, I went to TikTok first. Like it, I don't know of any advice that did it two years ago. <laughs> yeah. Because of that, because it's underpriced attention. So that's why I think people do spend money on advertising, even though it doesn't work because they're comfortable. It's not novel. Yeah, that is true. That is true. And I think I think things are shifting a, a long way now. Things have shifted a long way now. Like people are tracking, you know, every dollar. They're tracking, um, you know, engagement. They're tracking, you know, where, you know, how leads are flying through their funnel and the quality of them and things. So I think things have shifted a little bit. Um, but often um, you can do, like you could do print media as, as a marketing mix. So you could, um, you might have, you know, say you're into fishing, you see a lower company or something, then you might search that on Google um, and hopefully, you know, that company appears, you know, in the top three or four on there. Um, and so it kind of all works as a bit of an ecosystem. There's not really, there's not many advertising methods that just kind of go straight from, that just cold get people straight into a lead or a, or a sale. Well, you make... Like, I'm not against TV, radio, print. As long as that there's not enough competition, then it's worthwhile to me. Mm. So, you know, like that's like I had an $80 a month marketing budget when I met you a while back. We mm. could talk about that. Because um, I didn't know anything about advertising or content marketing. So you, you were referred by um, the guy that used to host our website. Incredible man, Paul. Yeah. Um, Stockton, check it out. Lindsay. Just a legend. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and I didn't know what to do or how to get there. And, but now I'm just sort of recognizing that in order to capitalize on the most effective underpriced attention, you've got to be a little bit judged by everyone else. I think so. Yeah. Because that's the whole thing. It's like, because it's such a foreign concept to others, they're too afraid to compete. So there's very little competition. So the price is low. Yeah. Correct. And I think like understanding your niche and understanding your, your avatars or the people that you're targeting is extremely important as well. Yeah. Um, you can't just target New Zealand wide for someone that's interested in X or Y. It's it's like, it's how can you adjust your message and your targeting and, and every, everything is part of the marketing to, to, to get that one person. And I also saw um, something recently around being a big fish in a small pond versus a small fish in a big pond, like a lot of people try and, um, run before they walk, you know, they'll expand to, you know, other countries or whatever before they've established a market in their home country or in New Zealand. Mm. Um, but there's a lot of advantages, I think, to being a big, to being a big fish in terms of attention and awareness and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. There's, um, there's a good book to worth just skimming because then you get the points. Uh, it's called The Ultimate Sales Machine. It's by um, a guy that works with uh, Charlie Munger. Yeah. You know the book? No, I don't. No, but I know Charlie. Yeah, yeah. no, Charlie. No, of Charlie. Yeah. Yeah, so Charlie walked into this yeah. guy's office and said, are you doing anything illegal? Because I've never seen that with sales before. Mm. And that was when he had um, his uh, magazine company, I think it was. So there, there were, he had a list. Charlie Munger had like a list of 2,000 advertisers. And um, the guy, I can't remember his name, he was tasked with trying to close them. And he did an analysis of them and he found that only 2% of them account for 90% of the ad spend. Yeah. So instead of going wide, he just went for those 20. Yeah. Nothing happened for five months because everyone wants a piece of them. 
and then he doubled his sales year on year. Yeah. So I do agree with that. Um, yeah, 100%. I think um, like adjusting your campaigns or adjusting your, your marketing strategy is important as well, right? You Like there is there is some benefits to going wide, but like I said, I think going deep is probably is probably where you can better establish, you know, a niche or, or um, results. Do you read a lot? Do you read a lot of books? Uh, I was, I was. Now I don't, I just like podcasts and asking. Yeah, yeah. So I just yeah. call you up ask, yeah. tell me how to do Facebook ads. Yeah, that's a more direct way, right? Yeah, and the only reason I knew about that book, I never read it. I just read the summary of it and asked people what they took from it and then just applied it. Hmm. I don't want to sit and read a book. Like it's dead time. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. They say like a lot of people that are um, successful have read a lot of books. Um, but then we spoke about Alex Hormozzi recently and he's big on reading one or two books a lot and getting a lot of value from one or two books rather than kind of understanding a huge range of books. Um, well, some people read books out of ego instead. It let the, the whole yeah. benefit of a, of a business book or nonfiction is how do I consume this information and implement in my business today? Yeah. Action, right? Yeah, well, yeah. it's all bullshit. Yeah. Everyone's like, I've got this amazing idea. I hear it every other day. I've got this amazing idea. It's going to revolutionize. Okay, do it. Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. And I think that's why it's important to, we spoke earlier about sharing information. And I think that's what's important. Like, you need to share information because the people that do um, take action on that information, they either improve your competition, which improves you, um, or else they don't action it in that case, you know, it's fine as well. So, well, that, that's why, you know, I'm glad you, this is your first podcast. Like I was saying, I'm glad you're venturing out in the world of content because it's so valuable be, to be known as the person that gave it away. Mm. You know what I mean? Like everyone's all oh, got this intellectual property. No, you don't like it's Google. It's, yeah. there. it's already there. But yeah, if, exactly. if you produce enough content at scale where people see value and they know you give it all away. That is more powerful than protecting that and IPing it. Exactly. And we can't serve, I mean, we can't serve everyone that needs our help, right? Like it's, mm. you know, so it's, and you know, people can't serve you unless maybe if you're Coca-Cola or something, but it's like, you know, like it's, you need, um, you know, it's, it's a bit selfish to kind of, you know, to do that. So. Well, I actually, I look, Coca-Cola was in that advertising history. Yeah. And, um, what they did was quite cool was. They relatively were quite pioneering with their coupon yeah. and their offer and their subsidiary offers. So they wouldn't just offer Coke. They would provide uh, certain things that would help promote Coke, but they weren't actually part of the offering of the Coke itself and put it in stores. Yeah. And then also provide free drinks, which accounted for 10% of their um uh, their profit. So yeah. they, they're actually giving it away for free because they were so confident that people would love the drink. Yeah. Which is like I was talking about the underpriced attentions on the other side of instant gratification. So that was a not getting sales now, but it made benefit in the, over the long run. Yeah. That's an interesting point. I think a lot of people, um, but nowadays especially believe they're almost the center of the world because, you know, because like you, your notification, your notifications come to your pocket. If you want anything, you look on your phone, um, you know, there's people that get disappointed if an Uber doesn't come in one minute, right? So, um, I think it's like, yeah, that, that plays into the whole strategy, I think. Well, it's like, like, um, I can't remember where I heard it from, but like there's a doctor that, um, was talking to people that they, if they didn't change their habits, they were going to die. Mm. 
in this like a time frame and only 10% change their habits. And I think that's an important thing to recognize about humans and in business is that the uncomfortable things that other people don't want to do is where the greatest opportunities are. Yeah. That's why I was talking about the underpriced attention combining. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And that's, it's, you know, it's the old, you know, biting the bullet and just doing it. Like sometimes, and I think that's probably an important lesson as well, right? Is, is just showing up or, or just, just being present and just, you know, taking that first step. Um, because once you sort of, you know, once you, even if you don't decide, even you just take the, take the step as you're deciding, um, then it's, it's beneficial in the long run, right? Because you, you at least know if it does or doesn't work. Um, but by thinking about it or having the idea or whatever, you're just wasting time. Well, speaking of that, without going into details, Mm. there was a moment in time where you were an employee for the majority of your life Mm. and then you had to make a call. So I'm wondering if you could tell me yeah, a little bit about that experience around COVID and then suddenly you're like, oh, i got to start a business now. Fuck. Yeah. So I, um, I left a previous, yeah, previous job, like at the start of COVID. Um, and I was like, shoot, <laughs> you know, like no one's, no one's, uh, hiring at the moment. Um, this is before, you know, the employment employee scheme came in from the government, um, and so I sort of, I obviously had like ongoing costs and stuff. So I shifted home and then that's where Ladder and Co came out of. So, um, it was, yeah, I was sitting at the dining room table thinking, you know, what, what am I going to do next? Hmm. Um, I'd come from a digital marketing background. Um, and so I was like, well, maybe if I could contract a couple of clients to start with, then we could get, you know then that would carry me through to another job of being employed, um, you know, yeah. in the two or three months after COVID, right? Because yeah. we, we didn't know it'd be that long. Um, so, yeah. So, but it actually, it starts probably slightly further back. I, I worked in, um, in banking at ANZ Bank and um, in marketing where it was, it was around um, insurance, insurance products and KiwiSaver. So understanding um, how people's, so sending emails and sending um marketing information based on people's spending habits so how they spend their credit cards or bank um we target different information to those people so if you bought if you bought a house um you would get house insurance if you're buying um it was a little more complicated than that but yeah, yeah. if you um if you you know um are spending are buying baby clothes or you know bassinets and things um then you would get you know information about, you know, insurance for a family or income protection. Um, hmm. and so that was kind of where like my understanding of like data and I guess customer service from, from a data perspective, um, happened, but then I wanted to work more closely. I got over the corporate. <laughs> oh, okay. yeah. 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 <laughs> and so I, I was like, well, how can I work with like, biz, like with businesses? Because I like to, again, I like to help people. And so no underdogs in corporate. No. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. So I, um, yes, I applied to be like a business lending manager, like business lending person. Like, um, cause then I could at least help people, you know, through, through funding, help scale their businesses. Um, but I never, that never eventuated. So I got into digital marketing because into an agency at digital marketing, because, um, that way we could, I could help 
scale their businesses through through marketing, which was yeah. something I was interested in, and through data. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so yeah, through data. Yeah, keep going. through data. Yeah, because I think I think like one of the things that I don't think people do enough. There's a lot of data in the world, right? There's a lot of information coming in, but how you use that information is, and how you select that information is really important, mm-hmm. and knowing what to what to use as well. Um, so that's one thing that, that we're focused on at Ladder & Co is, is using data to help make decisions and use data-led decisions as well as uh, qualitative information like, you know, who your customers are, where, where you think your market's heading and that kind of thing. So data, you know, obviously I'm very much as wing it kind of guy. <laughs> yeah. So I like to surround yeah. myself with data-driven people. Yeah. What, like... What do you mean data? Like, so what are we, what are we pulling out of the sky? We've got, you know, 10,000 clients and they have these certain behaviors or is marketing data you should be knowledgeable on or what data are you, do you froth over? At the moment? Um, I think it's like, it's a little bit like that scenario with Charlie Munger where it's like, what's the 2% that's going to give you the 10% edge or 20% edge or whatever the edge is. Mm. Um, because a lot of businesses we deal with are small and medium and they don't have the budget of Coca-Cola of these big, these big companies. And so you, you, you have to go narrow and deep, um, maybe across a couple of SKUs or a couple of products. Um, so what we look at is, um, is obviously like click through rates and that kind of thing, but also looking at multi-attribution conversions, which is like (laughs) multi-attribution is like if someone, uh, discovers your, your business via an organic search or via, um, I don't know, display ad, whatever, um, or billboard or whatever. And then they search online and I guess like their path to purchase and what digital touch points are touching them on their way through to a purchase, Mm. because we've got clients that might take up to 13 or 14 website visits before they actually pull the trigger on something. Whereas others will, um, will buy straight away. And so how do you cater for the end purchase as your, as your goal? And once you've got, once you've kind of got market saturation for the people that are buying, you know, straight away, how then do you develop, I guess, lead funnels, but, but attribution, uh, conversions to, to get someone or to help someone along their purchase journey. So, okay. Or, or eliminate them, right? If they're, if they're not well, if they're checking a lot and not purchasing, then how do you stop? How do you get a net negative? How do you get a net negative to get those out, people out of the funnel so you can get better people in mm, for yeah. your business? Yeah. Well, I, I, I actually enjoy scaring people off. <laughs> yeah. It's important. I, it's, I think like, yeah, I think as we spoke about, like it's important to, yeah, to say no to people that aren't going to fit your demographic or your, your journey. Yeah. Well, you, you th- there's an important difference between fans and followers. Mm. So, so I think people naturally will want to be people pleasy, put their, you know, best foot forward, be all shiny, not, not a personal attack. I do that. Um, but in actual fact, it's better to have people hate you and love you than to have everyone that likes you. Um, especially from a, a branding component. Um, because you're not trying to service every market, like, you know, like if I had 21 clients for this marketing company, that's, that's a lucrative business with the price point that I'm charging. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting, um, it's an interesting discovery into human psychology as well. Like 
I don't think there's many people on the planet that don't know Andrew Tate. Right? Yeah, that's the but it's like, but it's like, it's not actually whether you like him or dislike him. It's the attention that he's. It's attention that that sells things, right? Um, whether it be negative or positive, most people know. You know, people that have done it well, like Kardashians, Andrew Tate. You know, and then they've leveraged off that. Yeah, I think it's in. I find authenticity in relationships and life and in business and in marketing is the most rewarding and most challenging. 100%. Yeah. So there's going to be consequences if you speak your mind online, which I have and I'm waiting to be canceled. <laughs> um, that, um, that really meaningful connections that make a positive difference to people's lives is there. And people, you know, the, I'm fortunate to have people in my life that are very loving and supportive and I don't have to put on the show. Because cognitive dissonance is a real thing. People wear a mask and then they don't actually present how they truly feel and that just eats away at them. Mm. It was like that Mike Tyson quote was saying, you know, yeah. friendly everyone's an enemy to themselves. Yeah. So, okay, let's let's get nitty gritty because I don't get a marketing guy too often. I love marketing. <laughs> yeah. So there's attribution. So there's yeah. a certain number of journeys a person needs to go on before they feel comfortable make a decision. D depending on the uh, purchase cycle and um, the purchase cycle, so like, you know, if you're selling um, a house versus a pen, for example, um, you know, there's more consideration for a larger purchase than a smaller, or if it's a, um, maybe if it's like a, like a subscription or something that that's an ongoing purchase um, or the start of a purchase, you know, if you're buying the first widget that connects to another widget or another widget, like, do you want to continue down that, that path or not? So it really does depend on your, your, or maybe even competitors. Like if, if you're one of a few options that people are considering, they might come back to your site more often than if, than if you're the only player in the market. I look at it like decision energy. Yeah. So how much energy does it require or trust or belief in what you're selling for that person to make a decision? So as you say, if it's a low ticket item, there's very little decision to be made. Maybe there's a lot of competition. So you're using up a lot of energy to decide which one's the right one. So what what is a, a journey to take people on that's like, you can pick a specific thing, but like what's a start to finish? Like if you want to do service, you could do me. Yeah. yeah but yeah. just anyone, whatever yeah. you want. Yeah. So the service being financial planning or podcasting? Uh yeah, pro let's do professional services. So let's say you're a commercial yeah. lawyer. Yeah, yeah. And you, yeah, you want to. So I think like there's there's a few there's a few ways that so there's there's awareness, consideration, um, uh, lead gen, and sale, or or I guess yeah, point of sale. Um, so in terms of awareness, like it could be through like offline, so like word of mouth, billboard, um, they saw your signage out the front of your building or whatever. But then there's consideration, right? So then people often, like, that's the point where most people go to Google. I think it's like 80-something percent of searches start with Google. And um, a lot of people tell Google more, more than what they tell their partners. So if they've got, like, an issue or something, they'll, like, search it before they talk to people. Um, and so, so, that's, so that's where, like, you need to be part of the consideration set. So the, whether that be, that's why people say the front page of, Google or the, or the, you know, the top, you know, top ads of Google or, or, or whatever, depending on, you know, your strategy. So then it's like, so that's the, it, and often it can be, um, organic as well. So 
it doesn't have to be so th that's the consideration set like that the kind of the browser level and then there's the lead gen that's the form fills um sometimes people do download a book have a free trial um you know some way to kind of get your get your details yeah and then there's a sale which can be offline like they'll call you back email you back um and start that kind of sale process um or else it can be an online conversion if it's e-commerce so is that predominantly where you help is that you've got the awareness consideration then lead gen then you just leave it up to them after that or what um so so there's different so some people will get either get distracted at the at any one of those points so they might come to your site then the the, the kid starts crying or lunch finishes or the bus comes or whatever um so then it's like how do you loop like what's the best way you can loop back on that um and then also it's it's like there's also like a post sales element right as well right so it's like um i've forgotten what the terminology is but it's when you feel um like regret for buying something oh your buyer's remorse buyer's remorse that's yeah, it yeah. yeah so like and then like how does buyer's remorse um come into mm -hmm. that or potentially that's that's usually when the it, it can also be when that's the like the peak of the peak of your journey so that's when you're most excited right is when you've bought it um and it's either just about to happen or about to in the case of e-commerce about to arrive or, or whatever so how can you then leverage that to get a review and, and build on social proof or get a referral or get another sale through like a you know through a discount code or something as well so it's it's understanding i think marketing is like understanding psychology and people's like thought process and then applying that to digital touch points in our case it's interesting because you know i've done commissionally selling and management for most of my life yeah and so i i, I like to think i can understand people pretty good yeah um but i don't understand the infrastructure to deliver on my understanding of people yeah so you know what i mean so what in terms of infrastructure yeah so you're obviously tracking some level of behavior yeah. and then when that behavior occurs, then you're presenting something that might solve that behavior, contribute to that behavior, whatever. So what, what are businesses might've heard of pixels, might've heard of this and that. What are those things that you are doing to help enable you to execute on the psychology? Yeah. So usually that'll be through, so for example, for Google, for example, you'll log in, right? So you've gotten, you've got an email address attached to that. So then they can track your IP address or like your, your computer, um, and also your, your login detail, like your, your email for logging in. So they know that this person is ta has taking this journey online. So they can see if you came to the website, they can see, may I say they, you know, to Google, um, <laughs> we, I guess, if we've got a pixel on there or a tracking, tracking, uh, process on there, um, can see, you know, what actions people are taking, right? There's also, so pixels are for face is for meta, which used yeah. to be called Facebook. So that's for Instagram. Um, and that's primarily for tracking purchases and actions taken on a site through advertising or through, um, social media posts, Facebook and Instagram posts. Um, so, and you can't, you can't manage what you can't measure. Right. So like mm. the first thing is understanding what actions people are taking. And then once you've got some of that data, you can say, okay, what's driving the highest conversions or what's, um, taking the shortest period to convert. And then you can work backwards and say, how do we optimize for that? Yeah. I don't think people realize how remarkable 
what all this is. That's why I struggle with print and that because yeah. you'll only need to track retarget based on behavior. Yeah, we also we also have like call tracking as well, so we can call see call tracking. Call tracking, yeah. So we um, we've got a roofing client, and we can track because he wasn't getting many um, emails, and so it's hard to track online offline conversions. So yeah. someone that comes to the site and then calls, because we can see. If they've clicked on the phone call and then, you know, if they've clicked on it, but we don't know if they've actually fulfilled that phone call, what the content was, um, if they needed, you know, a couple of nails in the roof or if they needed a whole new roof. So um, with that, we can record the content if if the client wants. And that comes up with a pre-recorded message. Hey, this message is yeah, yeah. recorded. Um, you know, we rec- or we record it for, um, what's it called, like for training purposes or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and so you can record the number of offline conversions being calls and also the content, and then you can optimize for what was asked for on the call. So you can go through, say these five out of 10 calls were good. These three out of those five were for new roofs. What did they, what did they click on to ask for a new roof? Let's optimize for that in these areas or these times or whatever. Yeah. Wow. So what are you using to know what the call is? It like a, it swaps the phone number. So, um, so if you call from, um, say for example, Google ads versus Facebook versus offline, you can, it has a different phone number that swaps out on the, um, on the website and, um, and then, so, you know, where it came from based on that phone number and then, yeah. See the, the, the. The website will change then when it recognizes it first. The phone number will swap out. Yeah. So what's what tool are you using to deliver on that? Uh, it's called Wildjar. Wildjar. Wildjar, yeah. Huh. Because I've yeah. seen that with like Opus Partners, which was, uh, I didn't necessarily agree with their business model, but their marketing was r- remarkable. Yeah, and it's not for everyone. Like it's for some, I mean, it is, there is a cost, obviously a cost associated with that level of tracking because you're, you're buying a phone number, you're, there's like tracking software, there's data to record that call and things. Mm. Um, but you can also, you know, you can run it on and off to kind of test, you know, after you've made a change, how it's, how it's going and things as well. So it's, um, it's, and to some people it's important to others, it's not, they can get a, they can get a measure from emails, from form submissions, from anecdotal phone calls. They can ask people, where did you come from? So it, you don't have to do that, but when you've got like a multiple sales, it can also, but it can also be used for training, right? So, um, if you're not sure what your salespeople are saying on the phone calls or you're working out ways to help with your conversion, then it can be used for that as well. Does it like, um, bring it all together in the sense that like it'll track key metrics? You're like, it'll be like, this person said this word this many times. And no, <laughs> not to that level of detail, That'd be, but okay. yeah, that would be good. That, but that's probably more getting into like sales training and stuff, which, um, which we don't do. I'm not sure if people can do that from a sales training perspective, but mm. it's, um, I, I think like, cause although we, although we, um, specialize in, in marketing, marketing such a broad subject that it's, and also it relies on a lot of things, right? It relies on you answering the phone. It relies on a good message. It relies on, you know, a customer going into a CRM and then, you know, being followed up on so the lead doesn't get lost. Yeah. Um, 
you know, your post sales, if you're e-commerce post sales service, you know, um, so it's, it's, it's just a segment of, of, I guess, a customer journey. Well, that's a, I might have a dumb business model or a good business model, probably dumb knowing me, but <laughs> yeah, go on. I just kind of want to get all of it done for them. So they, all they have to do is turn up four hours a month. Because essentially the, the model is, and then I can steal it if they want, is, you know, you tell me who you want to meet. I put them on a podcast in a podcast studio with you. We handle all the creative, so you're getting brand. And then what I want to do is build a website for the actual podcast itself that leads to conversions that take them out on an email journey. And yeah. then also have on my own ads that are trying to attract more prospects, whether on the podcast or to be clients. And, and then I... With my sales training, I can teach people on how to sell better um, if they want to. Mm. But then there's a reason why people go specialist because all I really know how to do at the moment is post an ungodly amount of content in the right place so a lot of people yeah. watch it. That's the hard part though, right? Like posting, I think a lot of people struggle with creating content, getting themselves out there. I mean, a little bit like me, right? Mm. Getting themselves out there. Um, but but I think the content and and the, probably the branding is that is a long term. That's where your long term success comes from because mm -hmm. you run out of people that well you, you can run out of people that immediately purchase something. Um, but I think I think like people I think it's really hard to do everything well, which is why we don't do content. We don't do a lot of things. We don't do blog writing and stuff um, because. There, there becomes a lot of moving parts, yeah. which is more risk for things to screw up. Yeah. Um, so, oh, right. yeah, but it, it does depend. I mean, some people do everything as well. So it does depend on kind of how you're wired and how you structure it. And, and I guess you could go deep in terms of maybe a, a few clients, like not that many clients, but do a broad range of things for them potentially. Yeah. Well, essentially the plan is to charge them seven grand a month which is a high price point for people. And then if I don't deliver on the prospecting, you know, I only pay for the ones that show up. And then mm -hmm. if you're not happy with it by the end of the year, we'll run, refund everything. Yeah. Which is part of um, Alex Mosey's guarantees component of making irresistible offer. Yeah. But essentially I'm not stretching myself because all I'm doing is people and strategy. Yeah. Because that's actually what I do well is helping other people discover or support them be better. So, for example, a partner with Stan Henry, his whole team's got this amazing creative yeah. component. I don't touch it. You do it. Yeah, no, exactly. I think, yeah, I think that that makes sense. And Could if, fail, though. I don't I haven't done ads yet, so I'm going to have to see. Yeah, but I think, Thanks like, got it. if you've got skin in the game, then it's, you know, if you know that if you don't achieve it, then you have to refund everything, and that's going yeah. to that's gonna be painful. Oh, yeah, that's going to be painful for your personal life. Um I think then you can achieve, yeah, it's a good way to make sure you're not lazy. Well, it, it so like, um, I recommended a book. I think anyone should read it. I only read it like yesterday. It's really short. Yeah. So, um, $100 million offers by Alex Mosey, but he talks about what value is and value is time, a likelihood of achievement and outcome. So what outcome are you helping them achieve? How likely is it that they'll achieve it? And then how much time does it take to invest? Yeah. So in terms of constructing an irresistible offer, I was before I was getting people to do quite a lot, which in itself isn't valuable. So I thought, how can I create something 
that where it takes four hours of their time, so they interview four people a month, and then you can make 60 pieces of content, then that top performing content, because I find there's been a shift in social media. I don't know the ad landscape, so I'm just quoting smarter people. Yeah. If you can create, if you already know a creative's going to perform well because you've organically made it perform well, and then you repurpose that in some way to make a call to action, mm. provided I had the smart infrastructure that you have, mm. that could work well. But And it's also not brand fatigue because it's a value-giving piece of content. I think so. Yeah, and I think I think you, the goal is not to extract, is not to extract, um, in this case, you know, funds or money, or it's not to extract people. It's to, it's to put your branding out there and then someone will comment on that, refer a friend, like whatever. It's, it's, it's about, like you say, it's about adding value and then, and then I believe it'll come back to you as well. Yeah. Well, so the goal is, and I'm just talking about myself a lot now. Yes. That's good. Because hopefully people can just steal the idea. Um, so the goal is to target high ticket professional services. So the lifetime value of their client might be 60 grand. Yeah. So if I, if, if all the marketing fails and I already know how to put them in front of 48 people a year, so for a month. Yeah. And they close two of them. Yeah. Then it's profitable. Yeah. And then on top of that, you do the marketing. My ads will suck. I've only done it. Yeah. I think, I think that what I've learned is to undercook your expectations. So like, um, previously, you know, in other roles, it's, it's kind of been, you know, what's the best case scenario and, and talk about that. Yeah. Whereas now, um, we talk about the, what's the worst case scenario and is that, is that palatable? Like, can you, you know, can you live with that? Um, because obviously you can grow from a base, but you might, you might get lucky in your first month or two months or whatever your, your kind of grace period is, but the odds are that you, you know, you might not. Yeah. And so then it's. So then it's like, okay, so what's your, what's your base? What's your minimum returns that, that, you know, re, re, minimum reasonable returns. Yeah. And then how does that look as part of your strategy? Because you can always build from that. Right. Um, but I think, you know, and then the, that also adds value and it's low risk for them, low risk for you. I mean, I know yours is probably a little bit more high risk with like a seven grand a month mm. or whatever. Um, but some people that is or low risk, right? Some people that's some people that say their their monthly income, some people it's nothing to them. So Yeah, it's an interesting point. So like in finance, we under promise and over deliver. So I actively yeah. try and scare people off be investing because, you know, there's periods of times where it can go down by thirty, forty percent for three to five years. Yeah. Fundamentally you're not Yeah, yeah this year. Well, <laughs> yeah, today. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly how I said. Yeah. Um, and then doing a conservative return, not, you know, like you get after tax fees and inflation, you're getting about 2% for a balanced fund, 3% for a growth, 4% for an aggressive, oh. um, the bank, you get about minus one to one yeah, again, because of inflation. Cause you know, like you're getting this return, but the cost of living is increasing more. Yeah. hundred percent. So I believe in the under promising and over delivering and and because it's such a foreign business model, you know, there is a lot of speculation there. Mm. Like I'm confident that if the person believes in what they sell and they're willing to learn, I could train them to sell to f two people out of 48. Yeah. hundred percent. A hundred percent. And I think it's like, it's probably going back to first principles, right? It's like, 
it's like, if you're getting in front of X amount of people, then even if you, uh, maybe had what 1% of those became leads, then if, you know, I don't know, 10% of those people or however you, you think it would be structured, um, become, you know, purchase, then what does that look like? And maybe work out like a, like a, like a, from a marketing perspective, like a worst, like a medium, like an average and a best situation. Yeah. Um, because yeah, I, I think there was, there was some research somewhere where like, if you said that you were going to email someone by a certain time, if you, if you emailed them an hour later than that, then like that your, your, um, perception dropped like 50% yeah. or something and by the next day, it was like close to like 10%. And that's an email, right? That's that's a relatively like low risk form of communication. So I think, um, you know, even if you like hyper, yeah, obviously you want to have some confidence in your product yeah, yeah. or service. But yeah. like, I think like undercooking it is like probably one lesson that I've learned. Yeah, well, that would be smart. Like I made that first client. So I called up a well, first and only client. Just, yeah, nice. Um, I called them up and asked them for advice because I was going to sell to management consultants. Changed my mind since. But um, then they signed up. And I was going to deliver four podcast guests a week to all the editing myself for the video editing, mm. which was two videos a day. Mm. Then plus the long form, do that editing. Yeah. And it just wasn't achievable. And... um. And then also I was going to run out of money in five months because I got <laughs> yeah. a first sole loan to start the business. Yeah. So I had to, I, I worked every day, you know, 12 hour days to deliver on it. I was like, shit, I actually can't. How am I going to, what am I going to do? So I had that uncomfortable conversation and said, like, Hey, look, you know, if you get any new clients, I won't take any of the revenue. Like I've made a mistake. I said, I'll do it. And I wouldn't, and I couldn't, mm. um, this is why, and this is what I can deliver on if you want to do it. And then they offered to pay recurring revenue awesome um and then change to the new model yeah i think i think like when you're starting off as well like people call i mean pivoting was like a massive thing back you know like last year or the year before or whatever but i think like constant adjustment of you know obviously opportunities come your way and you know we spoke about saying no to you know to yeah saying no to things and kind of having like a strategy but i think like being having like a growth mindset or an open mindset is extremely important when you're starting because yeah. if you've always done if you always do what you've always done you, you get what you've always got you know yeah. um so i think i think like you know trying new things and sometimes like you have to put yourself in like a you know almost like okay so you have to put yourself in a position where it's like a, you know figuratively do or die <laughs> yeah. um you know to well for me anyway like to force yourself to to achieve yeah. something so i think that's i think like yeah that's important as well well, I feel like I should have got a lot more value out of you because there was some, yeah, it's really unique insights. I'm also busting to go to the bathroom. Man. Yeah. yeah. We've done 57 minutes. Oh, really? Shit, yeah. time's flying. Yeah. So you might have to message some people. So just to wrap it up now, as you get your flood of messages with your new agency. Yeah. Um, yeah. What, who should find you and, and why should they find you? Um, I think, I think anyone that's had a bad experience in digital who doesn't know um, kind of what they're getting, who would just want a second opinion. Um, yeah, I'm more than happy to chat to them and, and help them out, like point them in the right direction or have a look at, you know, or, or any questions. Just, I guess, you know, if someone needs some assistance in, in the digital kind of sphere, yeah. um, or, or advertising sphere, 
um, more than happy to have a chat and help them out. Good man. And how yeah. do they find you to get that? www.ladderco.co.nz so I'll put that in the description. Excellent. Thank reach you. Out. I, I, I met Leighton a few years ago. We hadn't talked since. <laughs> uh, not because of Leighton's. Uh, but but uh, I, I was like, I want to learn about Facebook advertising. So I called you and you had some really good insights. So Excellent. Good luck. Thank you, mate. Done. Yeah.